You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. Thank you, church, for being here today. If you brought a copy of God's Word, you're going to need it this morning. Open it to Philippians, and we're in chapter 2. We've made it through Philippians chapter 1, and now we are in Philippians chapter 2. I, I come to you today as a, as a humbled man and a blessed man. Lots of reasons. We love being here. We love Brownwood. We love Brown County. We were at the rodeo last night. That was a good time. If you haven't gone to that, it's a lot of fun. It's cr- what do those guys do? They're crazy. Anyways, but I'm, I'm ultimately blessed and humbled, not just what's going on out there. I love the community, and it's fun to be a part of it, but what God has done and is doing in here. It's not very often that you come to a passage of Scripture, well, you never come to it and say, yeah, we're, we're, we got that down. No, we've never arrived. We're never there yet. But you come to a passage of Scripture, and you say, Lord, I think we, we might get this. Well, we need to grow in this, this meaning unity. But I, but I feel like, as a congregation, that this is the kind of things that we want. So to be able to preach a, a passage to you, to encourage you to continue in instead of, wow, we're way off. Don't worry, that's going to happen as well as we travel through God's Word together. But it feels great, and I'm blessed to be able to say, I see a one-mindedness, is what I'm trying to say. I I see a unity for the sake of the gospel and a desire to take that gospel, fulfill the Great Commission, both here in Brownwood and around the world. I, I'm, I'm blessed to say that I, that I see us as citizens of heaven forming and have formed and we continue to stay strong in what you might call, I, I love this illustration, a shield wall of faith. See, it's a shield. If you think about a shield wall, like in the Spartan army verse, we've talked about that before. They had the shield wall and it, wouldn't, it wasn't just about one guy holding the shield. No, no, it was the guy next to him holding his shield and the guy next to him holding his shield. And together, this army would create a shield wall that was almost but impenetrable. It allowed a very small group of men to take on a vast army. And I see that in faith here. It's not just about you or about you and not you individually, but it's about you and how you form that piece of God's shield wall of faith, if you will, here at Coggin Avenue Baptist Church in Brownwood, Texas. There's lots of things that that Paul is praising this church for, that I could praise you for, informing that shield wall of faith. You know, praise God that you desire his word to be taught. I see lots of good doctrinal things going on in the church in Philippi, like I see here. You don't see Paul addressing a lot of those moving away with a brand new church. They couldn't have moved too far, but you don't see him addressing a lot of theological or doctrinal issues in themselves, like this is going on real bad. But, but he praised them for being participants and being unified in the gospel. And I praise you. Yet Paul knew this and I know this too. It doesn't take very long for that shield wall to break down. Paul knew, yet though it was going good in Philippi already, this young church, he knew it. It took but just two or three or four to, to be focusing on their preferences instead of the gospel to start grumbling. And then the grumbling turns into gossip. The next thing you know, three or four, right in the middle of the shield wall that's supposed to be holding strong, have taken their eyes off the battle. Let the shield down. 
it not only puts them at danger, but you know what happens, right? It puts the whole army of faith, not just in a pretend scenario, but the whole army of faith that God has called here at Coggin Avenue Baptist Church or in the church in Philippi. The whole army could be in danger with just a few. So though I see unity, though I see one-mindedness, though I think we have unity, unity is something we must always fight for. Unity is something that we must always strive for in our own hearts that God would continue to do what he's done in this family of faith so that we can continue to not be distracted by marginal issues, to not be distracted by gossip, to not be distracted by focusing on what we may consider good things at the sacrifice of the greatest thing, i.e. the mission of the gospel going forward through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So yes, unity is very important, and praise God I see it. But the road to unity must always be walked in humility, which is why I believe Paul writes this fantastic section of this letter. It's so easy to get distracted. But when I say the word unity, I think we got to dive in just a little bit, even before we get into it. You, you may not even see in your translation the word unity or unified in your copy of God's word. But what Paul's talking about in statement after statement, he's building this argument that's very evident that he is talking about unity. But the question is, what does that look like? Is is that we all have to think and look and act the exact same way? No. (laughs) That's uniformity. That's being a robot. That's, by the way, impossible. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something deeper that's not seen on the outside. It's seen on the inside. It's not something that binds us together out here, like just a creed or a doctrinal statement. No, it's something that binds us together in here, something that can't be attacked and torn apart, something that is formed by God and is held together through his spirit. It's like John MacArthur says, what Paul's talking about here is more heartfelt, and you don't hear him say this very often, by the way. It's more heartfelt than creedal. It's about being internally compelled more than it's about being externally controlled. It's a matter of the heart, what Paul is talking about today, not necessarily just a matter of confession. And believe me, confession is important. So how do I illustrate this, I thought? Well, I thought of an illustration years ago, and I'll just share it with you because it helped me. Imagine having like a bag of marbles. Well, those marbles in that bag, they have one type of unity, a type of unity. They're, they're all kind of being held together, but what's holding them together? An external force called a bag. It wouldn't be very difficult to just take out a regular pocket knife and cut that bag. And if I thought about doing that this morning, but marbles, Billy, they'd go everywhere. You kids would be chasing them. It'd be a lot of fun, but we'd be distracted. If you just cut that bag of marbles, the marbles aren't, they're not holding themselves together. It was the bag. They're going to go everywhere. But now put into your mind the idea of a magnet, and you put that magnet into a bunch of metal shavings. What's going to happen to those individual metal shavings? They're all of a sudden going to be unified and drawn together. It's called magnetism. It's an individual, but yet at the same time, internal force that draws all the pieces together. This is the kind of unity we need to see in the church, not something on the outside in just the form of a a, a confession or some bag that holds us all together. No, we need unity from the inside through God's spirit that ties us together in our focus and our proclamation of the gospel. May God create this kind of unity and continue to create it in us. 
This internal unity in the church is what Paul's talking about today. Let's just read it. Stand with me. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, based on everything that he said in chapter 1, a lot of unity talk there as well. If there is any encouragement in Christ, ask yourself as we're reading this, is there any encouragement that I have from Christ? Any consolation of love from him or his spirit? If there is any fellowship of the spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. That's the command. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Your translation may say vain conceit. But with humility of mind, regard, listen to this, one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. We're going to stop there. This is God's word. You may be seated. Paul seems to show us that this road to unity comes through humility. Therefore, I would encourage us to walk that path together. But before we get into that idea of humility in itself, Paul wants to paint some beautiful pictures for us. He wants to show us, I want to give you some motivation so that you desire unity. And this motivation is going to come from the self place, all the same place, from the spirit that's within you, that things that God has given you through that spirit that you should share with others. So it's not selfish even now, it's selfless and giving it away. And then he's going to say, by the way, if you have these motivations and these things motivate you and you have the desire for unity, here's some markers. Here's some markers of unity that if you do want unity, this is what you should see. So let's start with the motivation. Paul tells us, therefore, in verse 27. Anytime you see that, you've been told this a lot of times by preachers, but I'm going to say it again because it's important. You need to think about, okay, what is it there for? And it's pointing to what he's just finished saying, all of chapter one, but mainly, if I could sum it up in one verse, it would be verse 27, when he says, conduct yourselves, as who? Citizens of heaven, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are unified, basically. Standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, he builds off that unity he talked about in verse 27, through the rest of these four verses. Everything that he says here in verse one should be motivation for you to see unity in the church by sharing what God's given you with others. They come in conditional clauses, all four of these motivations. If there is any encouragement in Christ, then make my joy complete by being unified. If there is any consolation or comfort of love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, these are basically rhetorical because the answer is, of course there is. There is much encouragement from Christ. There is obviously fellowship with God because of the Spirit. There is affection and compassion. So we could read this verse with, instead of the word if, you could read because. Let's read it one more time with because used instead of the word if. Because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort in love, because there is fellowship in the Spirit, and because there is affection and compassion, make my joy complete, he says, by being like-minded and unified. Motivation number one, encouragement in Christ. I ask you, is there any encouragement in your individual life 
because of Christ and his role. That's not rhetorical. Is there any encouragement in your life because of Christ? Yeah, I hope so. Yes, there is a ton of it. I mean, like a megaton of encouragement comes from Christ. Why? Because by his spirit, he's always there with you. He's never going to leave you. No matter what going on in your, what's going on in your life, he is there. The, the term for encouragement here is periclesis. Now, I don't often share Greek terms, but this is really good. It relates closely to the term that we use to describe the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, which is paraclete. That term's amazing. It means to come alongside somebody, to be, where, be there with them, and to encourage them for the sake of whatever mission they're on. That's the Holy Spirit for you. He comes not only next to you, but inside of you to bring you to faith, to guide you into understanding. He does everything for you. He lives inside of you. He gives you understanding of the scriptures. He's your constant source of encouragement. He's everything. So do you have encouragement from Christ through his spirit in you today? The answer is a resounding, absolutely, fantastically yes. And so if there is encouragement in your life today from Christ Paul's thought will continue, then share that encouragement with others. And by sharing that encouragement that you have received from Christ with somebody else, guess what this does in the church body? It creates unity. So try it this week would be my application. There's been 60-something people joined here that haven't joined here before in the last few months. You probably don't know some of them, if not most of them. If you're a longtime church member, we can help you with their names if you need, or we can go back to the pictures. We can make it available to you. Find one of them that you do not know and invest into them and encourage them. Or maybe you as the longtime member, you not only can find that, that, that new member can find you, or guess what? You can find them. It can go both ways, but find somebody that you don't know that well in our congregation and encourage them. What's that going to look like? I don't know. Maybe it's inviting them to a cup of coffee. It happens to me all the time. I'm the new guy. You're doing this to me right now. Hey, Pastor Todd, can we have coffee? The answer is yes. Let's, let's do it. Let's get it on the schedule. I might not even know your name before you invite me to coffee. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. So a lot of times my goal when I meet with you for coffee or to hang out with you, it's like go one only. Let's learn their name, Todd. <laughs> but what happens in that conversation I encourage you and you encourage me. How's your family? Where are they from? How are they doing? What's going on in your life? I mean, this is pretty natural stuff. This isn't groundbreaking. You can do this with somebody else. It may be awkward in the beginning, but ask somebody that you're not familiar with to coffee or to dinner or lunch and just encourage them. Let them encourage you. Guess what that's going to do? It's going to create and form a new relationship for you that's going to be great, but you know what it's going to do for the church? It's going to build unity. That's what he's talking about here. Would you do that this week or maybe the next couple weeks as the summer's getting started? Would you be willing to reach out to somebody that you're not familiar with and encourage them? You're like, is this a rhetorical question? No. I want you to do it. And then if you could be so brave as to take a, anybody know how to take a selfie in here? Y'all do in this room. You know, maybe take a selfie of you and this other person. Likely, because we create friend groups within generations, likely it's going to be somebody from a different generation. So you choose the one who takes the selfie. You both may know how to do it. That's fine. You take the selfie and post it on social media and just hashtag Coggin Encouragement. Would you do that? 
and, and therefore the encouragement that you've received from one another and going out of your way to encourage each other, that encouragement can be shared with our whole congregation as we search this, the hashtag Coggin Encouragement. I gotta move on. I just, I just love Periclesis. I pray that that would be something that you take with you today to encourage one another. So is there encouragement in Christ? Yes. Is there, or he would say, if there is any comfort from love that you have in Christ, do you, do you receive any comfort from Christ in your life? The answer is absolutely yes. What does comfort mean? It means comfort. It's basically the tenderness that you experience from your relationship with God in Christ. Think back to a time when God has been tender with you. Maybe it's in a financial situation, a family situation. Maybe you felt the comfort of God from another. Maybe you went through a loss of a, fan, a friend or a family member, and, and someone came to you and consoled you. That, that's another translation here, that the consolation or the consoling of God in your life. Has God ever consoled you? Yes, he has. He's done it for me many times through others and just on his own. Pass that consoling tenderness to each other. Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Yes, there is. <laughs> This one's pretty simple. We have fellowship with God through his spirit because of the sacrifice of Christ. Therefore, we can share in this fellowship with each other. It's called koinonia. That's the Greek word here. And some churches love that name so much, that Greek word so much, they name their church that. It's a special kind of fellowship of love and faith and encouragement that you can only get among believers. I look at the outside world and I see these mass shootings. I see the death. I see the negativity. I see the confusion. Here's what I ask myself most of the time. How do they do it without koinonia? How is the world even surviving today without the love and the fellowship of the church? It, well, one, I don't think they are. Not very well. God's given you this gift of fellowship in the church through his spirit. Take advantage of it. You need these people around you. Can I just be honest with you? I desperately need you. And in some ways, you probably need me. Koinonia, fellowship, is there? Of course there is. Look at the fourth one. Is there any affection and compassion? Do you have affection from God? Yes. Have you ever experienced the compassion and the comfort of God? Yes. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says at the beginning. You can go back and read it this week. It says, this comfort that we receive from God because he is the God of all comfort and the God of all compassion. Once it pours down on you, it's going to be amazing and fantastic for you, but it's not just meant for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul gives you a command. You must therefore share this with each other. Do we have comfort and affection from God? Yes. Paul's whole point again and again and again, therefore it should be shared with each other. And if it is shared with each other, unity is going to happen. How do you recognize unity? Look at verse 2. Paul goes through what I would consider four marks of unity in the local church. He says, if these things exist, and they do, here's the command, make my joy complete by being unified. So what's holding us together, church? Is it a building? No. Is it a budget? No. Is it a creed? Not necessarily. Is it this nation? I don't think so. It's more. It's Christ's spirit and the desire to know the gospel and to see it spread around the world. So if, you, if you're motivated toward unity because of Paul's motivation, these are the four marks that I do see here and I want to continue to see here. Mark number one, being like-minded. 
unity of the mind. This is not just intellect or how we think, but it's our will, our emotions, and our attitudes. Now, now Paul's not saying that we have to think the exact same things. Again, we're not robotic, but he is saying that we should think the same way. Is that fair? You don't have to think all the same things. In fact, you don't even have to like all the same things that I like. That's okay. You may completely not like some of the things I do like, like hunting. You're like, oh, I don't even like that at all. That's cool. We can still be like-minded because we think the same way. What does he mean by that? He means we think in the spirit and not in the flesh. That's how we're like-minded, asking God, God's will for all the parts of our lives. This is becoming like-minded both as individuals and as a congregation. May we be marked by like-mindedness. The second mark of unity is having the same love, he says. We, we should share in the love of Christ, which we do together if we're believers, but then we should share that love of Christ with others. The Greek word here for love, you know what it is. It's agape, and it means no matter what, never-ending, unconditional love. It's the same kind of love that Jesus has shown to you. You should be showing to each other. By the way, when Jesus was thinking about you on the cross, he was thinking that you were more important than himself, which is exactly what Paul's about to say here. Look at John 13, 35. Jesus says, all men will know you and that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brownwood, Texas and Brown County knows that we are disciples of Christ. How? By how we love each other. He goes on to say in John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. What does that look like? Look at verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, than one to lay down his life for his friends. That's selfless love. When Jesus laid down his life for us, he didn't see us as, you know, I see them as the same as me. No. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have lived. <laughs> when you lay down your life for somebody, you're saying, I'm putting them above me. When you step in front of the car for your spouse or your children, you're saying, I care about them, not on the same level, otherwise we're both going to try to live. No, I care about them more than I care about myself, so kill me. That's what Jesus did for you. And that's the kind of love he wants to see you show to each other. You are my friends, he says in John 15, 14, if you do what I command you, if you show this kind of love. To each other. I appreciate Jesus here in a lot of ways, but in John 15, I appreciate him because he doesn't just leave love as this ethereal concept that's just an emotion in your mind. No, he goes out of his way to show you that agape love should be seen. It's an action. Jesus didn't just say, I love you to us, though he did. He showed us by dying in our place. This kind of love promotes unity in the church. How? Because this kind of love extends patience to somebody else because God has been patient with you. That's going to bring us together. This kind of love brings unity in the church because it extends forgiveness when you don't want to, when you don't think they deserve it, because God extended forgiveness to you. Forgiveness and patience, they are binding. They're, they're magnetic, church. Not only for us, but they're also attractive. 
the world would love to look into our congregation, and they can, by the way, and see selfless patience and forgiveness. This is a mark. The third mark of unity in the church that Paul brings up here is being united in spirit. Now, at first you may say, isn't he talking about the Holy Spirit? And he just said that. No, if you look deeper, this word here is, is the, it's, it occurs here the only time in the whole New Testament. We call it a hypox legomenon, and, and it literally means one sold, to be in one accord, to be harmonious. It's like we talked about last week. This means that we function as a team because we have the same passion to achieve the same goal. What is our passion Just in case there's any confusion, let me say it real clear. Our unified passion as a body of believers is to see God glorified, to bring glory to his name. That's the chief reason that you were created, which leads to having one purpose. That's the fourth mark. If we have one passion to see God glorified, how do we do that? That's our purpose through the gospel. By knowing it and surrendering to it and sharing it with others through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We are unified because we're like-minded, not because we look the same on the outside. I'm convinced we probably shouldn't look same on the outside. We are unified by having a love for Christ, not a love for self. We are unified by having the same passion to bring God glory, not a passion to be accepted by the world. We are unified by having the same purpose to know and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are different people, and I celebrate that, but we have the same spiritual purpose, and it makes something beautiful called the church. We discussed some motivation for unity. We've discussed some marks of unity. Finally, Paul says, but you're going to need some help getting there. How do we get there? What's the road that we must travel? I want to tell you it's the road less traveled. It's the road that Jesus traveled. It's the road of humility. Humility is the only path that will take you to lasting unity. Look at verses 3 and 4 as we end this morning. This is the path of Christ. All the clauses in these two verses, they are promoting humility, the humility of Christ, is our example, and they are attacking selfishness. Basically, I think Paul's given a secondary command here, though it's not an imperative verb in Greek. His major command is make my joy complete by being unified, but the only way that you're going to be able to do that is by stop being selfish. Do nothing out of selfishness, he says. That's pretty clear, isn't it? We're only going to achieve unity when we stop living for ourselves. The word for selfish here can also be translated strife. Why? Isn't that interesting? Because selfishness always leads to strife. They're one and the same. If you think about all the troubles that we can have in a church body, in fact, most of the troubles that we have in the world, where do they arise from? A self-focus and selfishness. That's why Paul goes on to say, do nothing out of vanity or empty Conceit, vanity and emptiness, they're the same idea. I think a good understanding of vanity is empty because vanity is emptiness. Yes, this means you can be full of yourself and pride and still be empty in emotion. In our world today, which is so full of vanity, it's no wonder why you see so many people struggling with emptiness. 
It's interesting to me that if you try to fill yourself up by thinking of and acting for yourself, you're always going to come up short and want more, and you're going to feel empty. But if you are always giving yourself away and serving others, what are you going to feel? Full. Now, the world's going to taste something different. They're going to say, no, you go out there and you get yours. You look out for number one. Nobody's going to look out for you if you don't. Well, you can do that, but you're going to always want more and you're always going to be empty. The Bible says, no, it's not about look out for you, get yours, look out for number one. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and God will take care of you. That's the answer. Please stop teaching the nonsense to your children. And if you're an influencer to those who listen, stop teaching them to look out for number one. Stop teaching them that you just got to care for yourself because no one else will. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're helping them because they live in a selfish world. And you might help them to achieve some measure of earthly success. But in doing so, you might also be teaching them to remove the most important thing in their life and to lose it. It's their soul. You say, Pastor, you're talking crazy. No, I'm not. I'm quoting Jesus. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? These verses will help you, church. They will help us as a church body become unified. But let me tell you, these verses are also the key to unlocking happiness in all of your relationships. Because humility, thinking of others first and considering their needs before your own will bring all kinds of people together that on their own would be torn apart. Let me give you some examples. Children, if you would just serve your parents above yourself, your relationships would go better and you would be honoring God, the Bible says. Parents, you know this already because this is what it means to be a parent. If you put your children's needs above your own, your relationship will be better. Husbands, if you would put the needs of your wife above yourself and you would love her and serve her and anticipate her needs before she even asked them to be met, your relationship would be better. If I could, I would write you a prescription for that. I mean, I know I'm not that kind of doctor, but let me write a spiritual prescription for you husbands. Serve your wife for two weeks and see what happens. Come back and see me. Give me the report. It's going to be positive every time. But wives, it's the same thing for you in serving your husbands above and beyond yourself. How about this? Employees, consider your boss as more important than you. Bosses, consider your employees as more important than you. This will not only help your relationships at work, it will make your business more successful. It's been proven in business books again and again and again. It shouldn't surprise us because it's not a business concept. It's a biblical concept, but it's been around for thousands of years. Serving each other. Church, if we would walk this humble road together, we would arrive where we already are and we would continue to be there, which is unity. We've, we've seen the motivation for some unity today, encouragement, comfort, fellowship, and compassion. Do we have those things in the Spirit through Christ? Yes, let's share them with each other. Therefore, we should be able to see marks of unity like I see today, like-mindedness, the same love, united in one Spirit, one passion, God's glory, one purpose, the gospel. And Paul is so kind, he even gives us, it gives us a path to follow to get there, the path of 
humility. I love timing that I don't make up because I'm so bad at it. But, but I love that this message relates to us partaking in the Lord's Supper together. Because Paul's really talking about, and we'll expand on it next time, he's talking about humility being shown to us by the example of Christ himself. And the greatest act of humility that humanity's ever seen is what we remember in the Lord's Supper when his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. Lord Jesus, what a sweet spiritual taste it is to be reminded of the humble act of your blood that was shed so we could be forgiven of sin and and your body that was brutalized and beaten and broken on our behalf. We remember it. We celebrate it. And I pray for the sake of unity through humility, we would embody that sacrifice with each other. That this church body would honor your sacrifice by serving each other and loving each other as you served and loved us. Let us be motivated by your word. Let us bear the marks that are in this passage. Let us walk in humility. And God, would you maintain through the power of your spirit the unity of this church so that the gospel can continue to go forward. And God, if there's one that's sitting in that seat by themselves today or next to a friend or maybe they're watching online and they're not a follower, that they're still trying to bear the weight of their own sin, God, would you show them the absurdity of that, that they cannot do it? Show them the penalty that they deserve, but then show them the penalty, Lord Jesus, that you paid. Help them unto faith today. Help them to repent and believe today. We would celebrate that, Lord. You do your work today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.